Thank you, Encounter Worship. Don't they do a great job? Yes. Absolutely. I'm, Jen, I'm already feeling regret. Why is that? Because I feel like, and Jason, you might just want to consider this. I feel like it needs to be marriage week, not marriage weekend. Because <laughs> it seems like everything they get up to announce, I'm like, I want to do that. Wait, I don't have time to do that. I've got the Jeep tour. we got massages. Like, I, I, I want to go to the dancing thing. Because honestly, I looked at Greg and I was like, if Greg can do it. <laughs> I, I think there's hope. I think there's hope. I really do. So Rebecca's done some work. She's done some, she does some work. It is, there's just so many good things. And this morning, mainly because of the title, was the best sex session seminar title ever. I don't know where Kurt and Rhonda are, but they, they, that was, like, we've done some sex seminar breakout type sessions. That was the best title. I'm stealing it. It was fantastic. Wait, you, what about our one on the cruise? Tell them about our sex talk on the cruise. Yeah, it was called Sex on the Beach. <laughs> And, and other fantasies that didn't come true in my marriage. So <laughs> that was good. I think that's but I, a good title. I, I but think, good, but I think that really was really good. good. I said that right away. I was like, honey, this title rocks. Yeah, I and we it. went, and it was really good. And if you didn't go, here's what I would say. I don't know if you can make that, that tool that you have available for everybody. Yeah. But it's far worth it if you didn't go. I don't know if they have it on audio as well. You need to listen to it. But they have the tool. You want to get it. Because what we found at the things like this, the best things that get said at a conference like this isn't what happens from the stage to you. It really is what happens between each other. And what I love about what Kurt and Rhonda did is they set you up to have conversations that can win in an area where we don't like to have conversations. As a culture, we like to watch sex. We don't like to talk about it especially as a couple. And so to make it easy, I think is super helpful. And we've been encouraged by just couples coming up to us, even this morning, walking around the lake going, we're talking about our why. Hmm. We're, we're trying to figure out what, what is it that God, uh, the purpose that he has uniquely for our marriage. And so that has been, uh, that's been encouraging. And I, and I just think, even as I was thinking about your, your seminar, the, the title I think would be, or the verse that really sprung to my head was Romans 12:10, where Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. And if we just had that mentality in the bedroom, that it's not about what I'm going to get from sex, it's what I'm going to give towards my partner. It would change everything. And I think that's true when we're talking about what we're talking about, is because we are, like we talked about last night, so different, if we get adopt the attitude of what am I giving to the person that is so different from me, because that's what God does for me, and showing honor to them. So I don't know if you guys like Tim Hawkins. Anybody Tim Hawkins fans? Okay. So I thought, well, let's start with a Tim Hawkins video. He talks a little bit about the differences between husbands and wife. Watch this. Honey, I trust you at Jiffy Lube. Thank I you. Trust you. You do a good job. You do a good <laughs> I job. do know there's no such thing as blinker fluid. Yeah. But I think it might be brake fluid. Yeah. 
good. That's a good okay, idea. Okay, I don't good, know, though. I, it is very true. I don't not know Not that much. you should ask me. I don't know much either. Yeah, I love so, you, but... Yeah, that's right. That's not my <laughs> gift. That's not my area of expertise. Well, last night we talked a little bit about refreshing our why. We talked about how we want to really... Our marriages to resemble something about the God of the universe. And we talked about just the idea that it's good to remember why God brought you together in the first place, that he had a hand in bringing you together. And it really was to love somebody who's different, weak, and selfish, because that's what God does all day long. And then finally, that our purpose in marriage really is something about more than just happily ever after, that it's bigger than that, that we really have a purpose to look beyond uh, just ourselves. And there's something about even our oneness that he wants to do in us uh, to reflect the nature of the Trinity to the world itself. In fact, in Genesis 2.24, in the book of beginnings, it says this, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is this physical picture, this physical representation, this physical icon is actually the word that's used in uh, the Hebrew of a spiritual reality. That our oneness is supposed to reflect the oneness that you see in the Trinity. Kurt and Rhonda talked a lot about the Trinity this morning. We've had a ton of talk about Trinity. Somebody (laughs) said about the Trinity, if you try to explain the Trinity or if you try to deny the Trinity, you lose your faith. If you try to explain the Trinity, you lose your mind. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's really difficult to even talk about it. That's a lot to take in on a Saturday morning, all this Trinity talk and about how our marriage is supposed to reflect that. That really the goal is, is the oneness because something about our oneness communicates to the world the nature and the character of God himself. And, but here's the, here's the problem. Just because you said I do, just because you walked down the aisle, just because you took, put two people into the same place doesn't magically make you one, does it? Right, and how we like to illustrate that is through something that we both love and mm-hmm. that is coffee coffee how many of you love coffee any any yeah. coffee drinkers yes we got up early this morning and we were maybe one of the first ones into the coffee shop mm-hmm. to to get our devil shot whatever you get you yeah, know your your good. fancy drink yeah but it, it was, was triple great shot, but triple, on. Yeah, yeah triple shot <laughs> triple shot you got mm-hmm. that triple shot um and we love coffee so if you think about coffee, oh, these are beautiful glasses. Aren't they nice? These are Jason great. Jason got those for us. I know, I like these. Okay, so all coffee is is two things, right? It's beans and water. And so what you do is you take the water and put it right into the beans. And there, right? There, there you have coffee, right? No, mm, no, 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 no. That's like the California way of drinking coffee. You grind the teeth with your grind the beans with your teeth and pour boiling hot water down your mouth. Then you have coffee, No, right? what we like to say about this is this is just two things sharing the same space. It's not what we uh, intended uh, for coffee. Yeah, oneness is more than just sharing space. This idea of oneness that God is talking about, we don't think it's just about the sexual union. We think it's about something much deeper than that. And oneness isn't about sharing the same space. It's not about sharing the same last name, the same roof, even the same bed. Uh, There are plenty of marriages. In fact, there's probably a lot of marriages in this room that right now you'd say, this is about how we feel. Hmm. We feel like we are just sharing space. I would say there's been a lot of seasons in our marriage where this is how we would describe our marriage, that our, we weren't really one. We were just sharing the same space. You have these little, this little chemistry, this lack of trust. There's distance between you for whatever reason. And it really shows that there is no marriage that's static. Your marriage is like you don't just become one and you're done. Every marriage is either drifting towards isolation or you are moving intentionally towards oneness. And doing things like this helps you intentionally move Back towards what I think it was Jason that was saying, or somebody was saying last night just about how everything in our culture is trying to pull us apart. It's rare that you have something in our culture that's trying to push us together. And what God wants to do is say, hey, let's put you in the context where you can actually move towards oneness. So we, want to, we say this word a lot, uh, that God didn't want you to, to be glorified roommates. He actually wanted you to experience oneness. So we're going to have a simple definition of how we would define oneness, okay? Oneness is this. This is, not a, you know, this is just our definition. <laughs> we, we define it like this, moving through life together as a team. Moving through life together as a team. When you think about that, every team, how many of you have been on sports teams? Anybody been on sports teams growing up? Every team, you have a purpose. There's some, you want to win games. You have a purpose. You have, some, you have some reason for why you exist. You have a coach. You have somebody that's helping mentor, lead you. And then you have teammates that all have different roles, different responsibilities, different giftings, weaknesses that are all working together to become one cohesive unit. And it wasn't just, you know, when you think about that, the same thing can be true of us, you know, in marriage. We have a coach. We have a creator 
that said, um, listen, I have a why for you. I want you to go and make disciples in your marriage and everything that you do in life. We have a coach that resides inside of us, the spirit that's saying, I'm actually wanting to help you become one. And what's interesting, when things go bad in my marriage, I hear my coach yelling at me all the time. Brian, do this. Brian, go talk to your wife. Brian, would you just let go of your pride? And I found most of my problems in marriage aren't because I'm stupid. It's because I'm stubborn. I know the verses. I just don't want to move when the coach tells me to move back towards Jen. And we have these different skilled players. We have Jen and myself that represent different gifts, different weaknesses, different strengths and temperaments that are supposed to come together to become one. What's interesting in the Bible is that the Bible talks a lot about oneness, not just between husband and wife, but God commanded other people in Scripture to be one. In fact, Jesus applied this idea to his disciples. He wanted his disciples to be one. In the upper room, at the prayer that he's giving, the priestly prayer that he's giving to the disciples, he prays in John 17 that they would become one. Why? To show the world that God exists, and mysteriously their oneness would actually draw people to the God of the universe. Paul does the same thing. He tells a little church in Ephesus, a church that he planted, I want you to become one. And and he's writing to a church that couldn't get along. They were doing this. (laughs) They were sharing space. They were Jewish Christians and they were Gentile Christians. And what Paul is going to tell them is, listen, you may not realize this, you may not accept it, but actually what unites you is greater than what divides you. Jesus Christ actually is greater than what you think is dividing you right now. Uh, they might have been in the same church, but they were sitting on different pews. You know what I'm saying? They'd have potluck meals, and the Jewish Gentiles or Jewish Christians would bring their dish, their matzo ball soup, whatever they're bringing. The Gentile Christians would make bacon-wrapped shrimp. They would all set them out, and they would have all different kind of reasons why they should not get together. They had two different ideas of what it meant to follow Jesus. And I'm going to give you a quick overview just of Ephesus or the book of Ephesians before we jump into Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, When you look at Ephesians, right away uh, we hear Paul saying in Ephesians 2.14 that Jesus has removed the division. Jesus has removed the division. Do I have that verse, Ephesians 2.14? I think it might be up there. It says this, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. This dividing wall you're, you're bringing up between each other, it's an illusion. It's an illusion. And the one that, the one that wants it there for you to make you feel like it's real is the enemy. You have an enemy, it's not the person in the other pew. It's the enemy called Satan that wants nothing more than to divide his church. The same thing is true in marriage. You may feel like there's a dividing wall there. And I'm not saying that there isn't reason why those bricks haven't gone up that need to be counseled and coached and somebody to help you take those down. But Jesus has already said, I've seen it collapsed. You just need to walk towards, back towards me and towards each other to find that unity that's already provided. Um, And in other words, Paul didn't give the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians the excuse irreconcilable differences. His answer was, hey, I got an idea for you. Why don't you go plant another church? It's kind of what we do, isn't it, (laughs) when we don't get along? Paul didn't give him that option. That's too convicting. It's a different message. (laughs) Ephesians 2.22. Let's go to the next verse. Ephesians 2.22, he says this. Do I have that one? Yeah, I think. Do I have that one or no? I've got it right here. Why don't you read it, hon, for us? Ephesians 2, 22. Mm-hmm. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Yeah, and so there's a purpose to them being one. It's to dwell at the Spirit, dwell so that people might see God better. And then Ephesians 4, 1, it talks about how Paul says, because of all this, because of what Jesus has done in your life, because of what the Spirit that's living inside of you to build something, I want you to walk worthy of that calling. Your life, because of the gospel, should look different than the world. Your relationships will look different. And then he starts breaking down and gets super practical. He talks about moving from exhorting the church to be one to then talk, talking about three specific relationships, husband and wife relationships, parent and child, and employer, employer and employee relationships. So when you think about it, when you think about kind of the overview of Ephesians that Brian just gave, um, those relationships that now we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about husband and wife Uh, Paul is going to continue to talk about uh, parent and child. We're not going to talk about that today. And employer employer and employee, we also won't be talking about that today. But that first one, we're going to spend some time in. But all of those three, three relationships have the ability to bring us the greatest joy and the greatest frustration and pain in our life. And so after he talks to this Ephesian church and he says, 
I want you to break down those walls. Jesus has come to bring you together. Uh, he's brought you as a dwelling place for the Spirit so you can then show others what this amazing good news of the gospel is. He is going to talk to, to these groups of people, and he's going to give them direction on how to live and how to walk out that faith. So that's where we find ourselves in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5. And before we get into that, he says, um, Ephesians 5.22, he says this in Ephesians 5.21. He's talking to them. He's saying, I want you to walk in love. I want you to get rid of these things out of your church. And then he finally says, I want you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's the whole foundation of this Ephesians church and where we're going about talking about husbands and wives. I want you to have the mindset that you're going to submit to each other. You're going to put the other person first. You're going to think about other people before yourselves. And now we're going to go ahead and talk about uh, that, that uh, husband and wife relationship. But before we do that, when we, when we think about this idea of coffee, going back to this illustration, if you think about it, both of these things, in order to be one, in order to have true coffee, both of these things are going to have to sacrifice the beans are going to have to be ground up, the water is going to have to be boiled, and they're going to have to come together. They're, they're going to have to give up something. Um, they both have to fundamentally change. And so if I'm going to submit to another person, whether it's my husband, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but again, Paul is saying that we're, we are to, to submit to each other, our wills are going to have to change. Something's going to have to sacrifice, and something is going to have to give. And so that's the mindset that we want to challenge you as we walk through this idea of um, Paul talking to husband and wives. We want the husband and the wife to think right now, what is going to have to fundamentally change in me? Yeah. How am I going to have to sacrifice so I can get to the real idea of coffee? And that's not what I was thinking on my wedding day. I honestly was thinking about everything that I'm going to get out of this relationship, everything that I'm going to get and receive because of Jen, since my goal was to be happily ever, ever after. I wasn't thinking about changing who I was to help Jen out and to feel more like a team. In fact, if anything, she was joining Team Goins. She took my name. And so if anybody needs to change, it's her, you know, because we're joining my team. And this became abundantly clear on Saturday mornings. I don't know what you guys, how you guys operate your Saturday mornings, but for us, early, especially early in our marriage, we realized that we had this point of contention on Saturday mornings. My idea of Saturday mornings was I would wake up, I would think about all the different projects that I want to do, typically in the garage or in, in the yard. I was thinking about how to beautify those places, how to take chaos, bring it into order, because there's something cathartic about that. And generally, I would do a project that would last until about noon when I got hungry, where I'd find a sandwich, hopefully a bag of chips, and conveniently, there were some football games that were about to be starting around that time. And so I would then find myself on a nice comfortable spot on the couch with my bag of chips totally open and a nice beverage, cool beverage, and eventually watching football until I took hopefully a nap. That was my idea of a perfect Saturday, but for some reason, the person that I married did not have that agenda. Right. Saturdays, well, for one, they're never for naps. You don't take naps on Saturdays. Naps are only for Sundays. Uh -huh. I know I get so much pushback on that, but... Don't care. That's how I was raised. Thank you. And, okay. you get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we always start off, first thing Saturday morning, is we all work together to clean the house. And we, that's what we do. And that's how I was raised, but that's how he was raised. So we found every Saturday morning we were frustrated with each other because we couldn't come together on this. And so after a couple years of being <laughs> frustrated, we finally realized we had this great idea. I don't even know who had the idea. Yeah. But we decided on Saturday mornings, we would get up, and we, as we were having our favorite beverage, coffee, we would say to each other, okay, what are your expectations for today? And what are my expectations for today? And how can we merge those and make this a good day for both of us? And what happened was, in order for him to have a good Saturday, I had to give a little bit of my expectations and of my background. In order for me to have a good Saturday, he had to give up a little bit of his expectations and of what he grew up doing. And as we worked through that, it wasn't perfect. We, we, sometimes we forgot to do it or mm -hmm. we would have expectations and I'd be like, no, I don't think we should do that today or whatever. We had to learn to communicate about that and we really had to learn to compromise. Yeah. We both had to learn to give and sacrifice. So we wouldn't be this. We would be like a true cup of coffee 
learning to sacrifice and give for the betterment of the team. Yeah, and so because we all come from different backgrounds, I know none of you had those discussions or had to deal with that kind of stuff. It's just us that needs coaching. But because of all that, it's no wonder then that when we come to Ephesians 5, that knowing that he's putting two very different people together, he's going to give us different job descriptions. That there's going to be something about, we have titles of husbands and wife. Most of us, all that we know about our job descriptions of either one of those tends to be what we were raised in or maybe what we didn't want to be. But we didn't have anything that was really anything that gave us instruction. So what Paul is going to do is going to give us, and we, that's what we want to talk about today, our title is just refreshing our job descriptions, being reminded of what is God uniquely saying to a wife, her responsibilities, and uniquely uh, saying to a husband and his responsibilities. Yeah. So Jen's going to take the first one. I'm going to sit on this nice, soft <laughs> metal stool <laughs> and... Uh, and just I'll, I'll go, bask I'll go. in your glory <laughs> okay, of wisdom. Okay, I'll go, I'll go mm -hmm. quick. Okay, so Ephesians 5, he does, it's interesting, in 5.22, we have a small section, but it's a pretty powerful one, and Paul does start off with the wives. Um, it says uh, in, in Ephesians 5.22 through 24, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, to, I'm sorry, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so, um, again, admittedly, now this section has brought uh, in, in history a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, and maybe even some twisting of the meaning of this. And so we want to handle it, I want to handle it carefully. Um, I think some people might just not teach it. Some people might want to really focus on it. Maybe a man in the past is really focused on it. Um, maybe we've tried to explain it away. It doesn't really mean what you might think it means. Um, and so I want to I handle it with, like, I view Scripture very highly. And what God has said has been, it's been written like this for years, and I want to be faithful to God's text. But also, we have come through a time, obviously, where, where God values women, God wants women to be lifted up. If we look at how, the way that Jesus dealt with women, it's amazing how he spoke and, and, and really broke a lot of the cultural rules to minister to women. So we want to have that high value of women. I want to talk about a working definition of submission, and that is this. Submission is a willing choice to follow someone's leadership. It is a submission is a willing choice to follow someone's leadership. When we open the pages of, Christ, uh, of Scripture, we see that right away that Adam, when God created Adam and Eve, we read this verse last night. It says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. We kind of stopped right there on purpose last night, and we talked about how it wasn't good. God created this woman for him, and he says, I will make a helper fit for him. That's Genesis 2.18. Now, when you think of that word helper, that's one of the first things that God calls a woman. He's like, here's Eve. She's going to be your helper. And as a young woman, when I read that, I was a little underwhelmed. Uh, when I thought of helper, maybe I thought of um, when I was a little girl. And my mom would say, you are such a good little helper. You are mommy's little helper. I love how you help me around the house and you help me do these things. And, and it's kind of like this, well, you don't really know what you're doing and you're not skilled, you're not trained yet. Um, and that was like, I, I don't know if I really want to be that, that kind of helper. Um, I also would think immediately of hamburger helper. <laughs> now, hamburger helper is a box of powder, maybe some sauces that you buy at the grocery store, and it's responsible for making a pound of ground beef turn into some meal that is edible that you're going to feed to your family. <laughs> and uh, whether you use Hamburger Helper or not, that's fine. I don't even know if they still make it. But, um, you know, it's kind of like just this downgraded idea of what a helper is. And so I thought to myself as a younger woman and as I was growing in my Christian faith, what does this mean? I want to find out what God means because I know that God values women. When he created men and women, he created all of us in his image. And so what does that really mean? And as I search, maybe you, some of you have done the same thing and have found the same results. But it is amazing when you look in the, in the Hebrew language for that word helper, it's the word azer. And the word azer's definition is to come alongside and offer aid. It is used 15 times in scripture of the Lord God himself. 
Now, here's an example that I want to show you from the, from the psalm. Psalm 33:20 says this. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Do you see that word helper in there? That's the word azer. He is our help and our shield. We see God coming alongside of Israel and helping them. So often the, the country, the little country or the little uh, nation of Israel was in need of help. Other people were overtaking them. Now he told, God told the nation of Israel, you are my special nation. You are going to be successful. You are going to be a leader. You are going to be uh, the head and not the tail. You are going to be, you're going to bless all the world. But so many times they fell. They disobeyed God. They fell into trouble. They were weak and not strong like God told them they were going to be. So God came beside them as their azer and helped them. So if we think about that, women, as we think about how, as we'll see later, God says, men, I want you to lead your families. Men, you're, you're the head of the household. You're the head of this thing called marriage. And so women, we come alongside as helper, not as like mommy's little helper or hamburger helper. We come alongside our men with all the skills, with all the strength, with all the wisdom, with all the power God has given us as strong women. We come alongside our husbands and we help him. In this passage, we are instructed also to submit, and then we are given a reason why. Um, we don't submit so that men can have power over women. We submit because we see that we are a living picture. Our marriages are a living picture of the church. Our husbands lead and head up the marriage just as Christ leads and heads up the church. Um, and just as we as a body of believers are submitting to Christ, we should also have that same thing. How can we do that? How in everything can I um, submit to my husband? How can I follow him in that leadership? Another thing I always like to talk about, just to uh, give us some thought to it, is that every single institution in our world has submission. It's how institutions and how things are run best. Here at camp, uh, if, if there was no leader, if there was no head of this camp, it would be chaos. If you go stay in a nice hotel, there's a manager, there's an owner, there's people that are, that are leading that hotel, and then we submit. In our schools, um, our teachers submit to a principal. Our prin principals submit to a superintendent. This idea of submission is everywhere. And in this little institution of marriage, God has worked it out that, uh, he says, by gender, I want, I want the male to, to be in leadership, and I, th I want the woman to come alongside and to help. But because this is a sticky situation, and because, again, sometimes this verse, these verses have been used as a tool um, by men or women to kind of maybe put a woman in her place, or they've been just used out of context, um, I want to be clear about some things. I want to share with you some things that submission is not, and submission is. Now, first of all, submission does not mean that a woman is a doormat or that she is less than. Just like I said before, both genders were made into the image of God. Um, also, in Galatians 2.28, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither, neither slave nor free, there is not a male or a female. We are all one in Christ. So it's not a less than thing. Um, also, it doesn't say that women are su to submit to men. That's why he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, we as women are not responsible to submit to men. We are, in, in this situation, we are to submit to our own husbands. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't respect other men. It doesn't mean that we're always trying to prove ourselves or take control uh, over things. That, remember, what is the first thing we talked about? What does Paul say to everyone? We're to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. But I think sometimes that this verse could be taken out of context to say that women submit to men. I think most of us in America are beyond that. But again, I think it's just interesting that he starts off with saying, no, women, or wives, not women, wives submit to your own husbands. Um, it doesn't mean, and this is a big one, that we as women, our wives, are to blindly obey and to follow our husbands into a sin or to allow or accept abuse of any kind. And about that, Brian and I both want to be clear. Um, because that verse has been twisted, that, that has been a disservice to women. Um, and if these things are happening in your marriage, uh, that's not an action to submit to. 
A husband who may or may not use these tactics under the guise of submission is in sin and needs to be held accountable. We should never stand by, any of us should stand by as um, a woman or a group of women are being um, abused under the banner of submission. And if that is you in this situation where I'm looking out at a group of people, and that could be, that could be. Um, and if that is you, I encourage you to come talk to me. Come talk to us as a couple. Come talk to um, Kurt and Linda. Linda? Rhonda, Rhonda sorry. <laughs> I knew that. Right when I said I was like, it's not, it's not Linda. Kurt and Rhonda. <laughs> we just met them this weekend. But Kurt and Rhonda, go talk to them. Maybe when you get back, talk to someone that you trust at your church or a counselor. Or maybe even make, that, make a call to someone who, an uh, uh, authority, um, who could help you. So I just want to say that clearly, that as we talk about what submission is, that we want to talk about what it is not. And for far too many years, um, it's been used in, in um, certain settings and in groups of people and in the church to our shame to control women, to abuse women, and it could be still happening today for sure. And so I want you to hear clearly that that's not what submission is. So if that's not what it is, what is it? What is submission? What does it look like for we, for we as women who are wanting to walk this out in our relationships? We are wanting to be that helper, that strong ally that comes beside our husbands. What does it mean? Well, to me, it means cooperating with our husbands as he seeks to lead the family. Brian is going to get into some things uh, in the, in the, as Paul talks to the husbands. Our husbands have a strong burden on their shoulders. They have a strong responsibility. And who do they need? They need someone who is in their corner. They need someone who is going to come alongside them and say, how can I help you? How can I help you lead our family? Even if it's just you as a couple and you don't have kids or if you do have kids, how can I cooperate with you as you seek to lead our family? It means that you have a spirit of encouragement. It means saying, I want to pray for you. I want to be the best um, helper that I can be as I walk with you and submit to you in this. I want to offer my support and my help as you figure this out. It doesn't mean that, like I said before, it doesn't mean that you share your opinions. It doesn't mean that sometimes you could come head to head. And when you do come head to head and you're wondering what to do, I would say your first, your first response would be, I want to support you as you lead our family. Now, sometimes if that over and over again is leading you off a cliff, if it's leading you into dangerous places, if it's a hard thing that is not healthy, that you would call someone in to help you out that you would um, bring a third party in to say, I, as a woman, I want to submit. As a woman, I want to follow his leadership. But if it's hurting your, your family, if it's hurting your kids, that you would say, we need some help on this. And that is an appropriate thing to do. So it comes down to our control. Do we trust God? Um, because it says in Scripture that, um, that really, first of all, we're submitting to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. We have the why there. There's our why. If we have a why for anything, that's why we submit, because we are a living pitcher. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. We have our why. And we're not doing it just for ourselves, but we're opening up our hands and we're, we're giving control first to God and then walking in that submission. So for wives, oneness requires sacrificing the desire for control because that's what most women want to do. We walk around like this. We want to control. We want to control our kids. We want to control our husbands. We want to control our circumstances. And when we do this all the time and we're controlling, it hurts. It's uh, even right now. My hands, it, it hurts to hold on to that control so much. But when we start opening up our hands first to God, we trust him with our lives. When we open our hands first to God and we give up control to him, God, you're in control. You're in control of me. You're in control of my husband. And then we open up our hands to our husbands. I say, Brian, I want to be your helper. I open up my hands. I, I, I want to follow you. Where you lead, I want to go. That's when God can really move in. Yeah. That's when oneness can really happen. So for the wives, oneness requires sacrificing. What are we going to sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Sacrificing the desires of control. Now let me just ask the question because there's kind of an elephant in the room right now. Um, there's probably some women that are saying, I'd love for my husband to lead, but he's passive. Hmm. He's passive spiritually. He doesn't want to move into conflict. It seems like whenever I try to encourage, there isn't any kind of movement. So what does submission look like when it feels like the husband 
just doesn't care very much. Yeah. I think that's a hard one, and that's definitely not an easy place to be, but it's a place where a lot of women are. So I think the first thing a wife has to do if she is truly wanting to follow the Lord in this is that, first of all, you as a wife have to continue to grow in your walk with God. That has to be your first priority because that is where you're going to get your strength to continue to walk in that hard relationship. That's where you're going to get your wisdom to know when to say things and when to not say things. That's where you're going to get your wisdom and your strength and your like peace with who you are and, and peace with the man that you've married. And then I want you to start to pray and I want you to start to say things and encourage him. So first of all, let's talk about prayer. Um, one of the things that, that was just encouraging to me that had happened over the years, one of the things when we first got married was I really wanted Brian to pray with me. And I wanted him to kind of lead out on that. I wanted to be a family of prayer. I did not have that in my family growing up. I grew up in a great Christian family, and I'm so thankful for that. But we never really prayed together as a family. Over meals, sometimes at bedtime when we were little. But I never, like when a problem came up, even as a young, a young child, I was like, I feel like we should pray about this, but we never did. So that was, that was okay. But we had, I had a great Christian family. So I'm like, I really want my husband to do that. But he didn't. And so nope. I, was, I would be like, okay, what should I do about this? I don't want to be let like. Me just, let me just say this. It wasn't because I didn't know she didn't want to pray with me. And I was, I was in seminary, went to Bible college, pastored multiple churches. 23 years of our marriage, the number one thing on my wife's prayer list was that she would have a husband who would pray with her. And I knew it. My problem isn't that I'm stupid. I'm stubborn. Yeah. So all those years, I would just pray, pray, pray. And it was hard for me to nag about it because I would, I, I don't know, it felt weird nagging about praying. Like, will you please pray with me? I don't know. I just, I, I, God gave me that wisdom, I guess. What am I going to say? Like, no. no. <laughs> yeah. But then I don't really want to because she's asking. You know that feeling? It's like when somebody asks you to do something, you don't want to do it. It's like, I got to initiate it. I knew that I was supposed to initiate it, but I wasn't. So after 23 years, uh, for some reason, we moved into this house and we had this little empty spot that we needed something to fill. So we got two brand new, like really comfy rocking chairs that are just great. And we started sitting there drinking our coffee in the mornings. And for some reason, I think it's probably because we had a couple rebellious teenagers who were really walking away from the Lord. And so we were really desperate to figure that out. And one day, Brian just started asking me, okay, you know, as we get ready for our day, what would you think if we would pray together? And I was like, that would be good. That would be great. You know, trying to like just go low, low, you know. Low Inside, key here. she's like, finally. <laughs> yes. And so God finally answered my prayers. It was like one day we did it, then the next day we did it, and then the next day. And then we got into this little groove that we said at 7 o'clock every morning, we want to be in those two chairs and we want to say prayer together, whether that's Five minutes, sometimes it's a little longer, sometimes a little shorter, expect different, you know, different times of life and different responsibilities that we had. Um, but I just remember one time our Gibson, who's now our 15-year-old, he was probably about 13 years old at the time, and we were kind of, it was one morning, and we were moving around the house, and Gibson, oh, we were sitting in our chairs, and we were kind of chatting away, and we were doing something, and Gibson called down from upstairs, and he goes, hey, you guys, it's 7 o'clock, you guys need to start your prayer time. And we had no idea that he even noticed, that he even cared. But when we started that and we realized our kids were watching us, our kids were watching us, 7 o'clock, 7, 10, just 10 minutes, we would start praying together. That was an amazing thing where it took a long time, but as an encouragement to a woman who's like, start praying for your husbands. Start asking God to do a work in his life and just wait. The second thing I want to say is that um, you're going to need wisdom on when to say things and when to not say things, when to move into certain areas and when not to move with that husband. So I would say get into a, a group, find a good group of, of godly women who are seeking after God. Uh, get into a Bible study or even just a mentor situation. Um, whatever it takes, again, to have you be strong, um, even maybe when, you're, when your husband is not. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I would say, you know, I, man, to my shame, I wish I had started that a lot earlier. Somebody would ask me the question, this would be a great question just to ask each other. Like, what do you wish you had started earlier in your marriage? Mm. It would have been prayer. I hate that it took that many years 
to not let her know there's a king in the castle and it's not me. Gosh, it's to my shame. I missed out on this intimacy that happens when you pray together. And I think a lot of it, I mean, frankly, I know a lot of it for guys. Here's what happens with guys. As guys, I know that when I don't feel confident in an area, like the car, fixing a car, I don't feel confident. When I don't feel confident as a man, I don't move. Because I don't want to look like an idiot. And I didn't want to look like an idiot praying. Never had that modeled. I was always intimidated. I felt like I got to pray in the King James only or <laughs> pray like Billy Graham. I don't know. All these ideas that I'm sure the enemy is whispering, you're not going to be good enough. You're not going to do it right. You're not going to do it to the way she expecting you to do it. That's what the enemy is just whispering. Why? Because he wants nothing more than to have distance between us. Yeah. And for wives, women do have a gift. I feel like women can be really close to God. I mean, we see it in our churches. I see it in our church. There's a lot of single women sitting by themselves in church because women have a special relationship with God. I really think that's true. And sometimes we put our expectations on our husbands that are too high, that we do want him to be this perfect leader. And if he doesn't do it right, we just feel like we need to tell him. And we feel like we need to correct him. You know, we do that with the dishwasher, with the kids, and, and we can have a tendency to correct him and show him where he's wrong, and what's that going to do? Our husbands will shut down every time. And so women, zip your lip, pray, be gentle and kind, and let God work in your husband. When he does step out, encourage him, thank him. Don't make this huge deal about it, like, wow, that was so awesome. Oh, I just love it. Just be like, thank you. I appreciate that about you. Watch that make him want to make the next step of like, I want to do that again tomorrow because she appreciated it. She didn't nag. She didn't make a huge, you know, deal about it, but she showed her appreciation. She didn't make it a correction. I can do this. So that's just a little tip for us that we've learned a long way. Yeah. And I, and I would just say on that, you know, if you're looking for something, don't, don't just feel like you got to do it on your own. Jen got a, a great prayer list. We divided up the week. We put down different things on, you know, get some, get some, like some cheat sheets, you know? to help you know what to say and what to do. Get a devotional where you're reading a page together, one of you's reading it, and then at the end it's got some questions and a sample prayer. You don't have to do this on, on your own. Family Life, we got a great resource that's coming out called Drawn Together. It's a great couple's devotional, 52 weeks. Um, just give you one a week. Just start small. Um, you know, most of the Bible, most of the prayers in the Bible are short. And it's okay to, to pray. Sometimes it's just what Jen wanted me to do is just grab her hand and say, Lord, help us. That's a prayer. That's a short prayer. Read the Psalms together. Pray those. There's different things that you can do. Ask a friend. And guys, here's what I would say. You know, some guys are like, well, does that mean you, you know, a lot of us had this idea that what head means. And don't worry, guys. Ladies, you're like, when are you going to talk to the husbands? Aren't you? There's I'm like. sit down and let you there's go. There's like, well, no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this tonight um, just because we're up against lunch. And there's nine verses. The women only got three. You know what that tells me? <laughs> Paul's like, men need three times as much instruction. <laughs> So that's why we're going to give a full session tonight <laughs> to help and understand what does it really look like to love my wife like Christ loves the church. And here's what we're going to find, guys, is that you're, the, this, the, the responsibility is a lot deeper and a lot, a lot more significant than we might have realized. And that should change what we do and how we do it. But guys, if, if you're out there and your idea of head means, because a lot of us have a job title with no job description, and that can make us dangerous people. Mm. And what head meant was that my dad, my dad was the head of the family. Whatever he said went. Whatever he did, we did. Some of you are like, yeah, my dad was the head, but mom was the neck. And she turned the head wherever <laughs> she wanted to. And everybody knew it. Right? So... For me, just learning that headship isn't about domination, and it's not about passivity. It's about something a little bit deeper. And to also recognize if, if the word for helper is being used of God himself, and I'm going through life thinking that it's all about making my decisions on my own with what I think should happen, I'm missing out on the ally that God has put beside me. And if Jen is bringing up some, some things that are concerns, some things that are issues, some things that I may not be seeing. And my response is, woman, you just need to submit. Warning. <laughs> God has put an ally beside you 
to help you see what you're not seeing. They don't call them blind spots because we see them. Isn't it? It's weird. Like, I get offended when Jen says, you got some, you got some like, spinach in your teeth. I'm like, oh, well, I can't believe you pointed that out. It's like, no, she's not doing that because she hates me. She's doing that because I look like an idiot. So why do you want to keep looking like an idiot with your decisions and leading your family in a way that you shouldn't be leading? I'll close with a, a story um, about a decision we had to make. Uh, and it was about a life choice, a big decision. It was about a move. We were in Charlotte, and we were considering a, a job down in Atlanta. And it was a good job. It was a great opportunity. It was something that I, had, I was really hoping for, and I thought it was going to be a great fit. So we took our kids, went down to Atlanta, spent uh, a couple days there. And, at the end of, and, and basically, I could tell through the whole weekend that Jen just was not feeling it the way that I was feeling it. We had some moments of funky tension, let's just say. <laughs> just little passive-aggressive comments that were being made about the thing, and just how she didn't like Atlanta, and it's just so busy traffic, and na 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 Wait, 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 was I that bad? Yeah. <laughs> Again, you're seeing it through my, my lens, right? That's what I'm seeing. She's not seeing what I'm seeing, and so I'm mad that she's not seeing what I'm seeing, rather than trying to understand what she's seeing. So we get in the car, kids are in the back, and I know that the drive from Atlanta to Charlotte is three hours and 23 minutes. I know, how, know how I know this is because there were the only words that we said for three hours and 20, 23 minutes was what I said at the beginning. Kids, what, honey, what do you think your kids want for dinner tonight? It's exactly how I said it. It's all I said for three hours and 23 minutes. And all we had was this. We knew that we were both on opposite ends of this, this thing, and we both didn't want to move towards each other. We were this. Mm. You guys ever been in a car where you're like this? It's the worst place to be, you know? It's one thing to be lonely and single. It's another thing to be lonely and married. Because the one thing you want is so close to you, but you can't have it. It's like being marooned in a boat <laughs> around salt water, and you have no water. That's what loneliness in marriage feels like. And we went to bed that night. We got home, and uh, we... Again, I'm not, not, I'm, my problem is not that I'm stupid. I'm stubborn. I know the Bible says don't let the sun go down in your anger. That doesn't mean stay up and fight, but that means move towards <laughs> resolution quickly. But I wasn't even interested in moving towards resolution. I went to bed that night. The whole night I'm thinking about my deposition, why she's wrong and I'm right. And I'm a, I'm a pretty big stuffer. I don't like conflict, but I was ready for this conflict. And I remember waking up the next day and the kids were going to get off to school. And I knew that at the end of that time that when the kids are gone, it was fight time. It was like there was, there was people crowding around. We were about to go in the ring. We didn't have a ref that was about to say no below the belt fight punches either. I was ready for all that. Because I, I, I knew this is where God wanted us to go. This is where I thought we should go. And I remember Jen just saying right before we were about to start, we, we, we got ready, and I'm, I'm about ready to finally explode with what I knew was going to turn her mind and see it my way. And she said, Brian, before we begin, I just want you to know something. I know we need to talk about this, but I just want you to know. I'm sorry for the way I treated you. I shouldn't have done that, especially in front of our kids. And I just want you to know before we start talking about this, I need your forgiveness, and I want you to know that wherever you feel like God's taken us, I'm in your corner. Will you forgive me? And I look back at Jen and I'm like, no, you can't say that. I'm ready to fight. She's like, here's the trump card. And what does it do? Gosh, it melts me. And the spirit's like, what have you been doing? I've been, you've been stiff arming me ever since yesterday. You've been treating God's daughter like trash in front of your kids. And all the time I've been saying, Brian, just open up your mouth, just move towards her, just ask her questions. I've been giving you that in your heart and you've been ignoring it to your shame. And when she said, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It broke me. Because I was realizing, well, man, I've been a great leader, haven't I? Have, is this what headship really looks like? So then we started talking and I started unpacking about what is it that you are seeing that I'm not seeing? What is it that I'm holding on to that I shouldn't be holding on to? 
And at the end of the day, she was right. We didn't move to Atlanta. We didn't take the job. <laughs> it wasn't the right fit. It would have been a terrible decision for our family. And if I had held on to wives submit to your husbands. Incidentally, guys, that verse is not written to you. We should never use that verse. It's only written to wives. We should lead in such a way that submission is not difficult. We'll talk about that tonight. Is that all right, ladies? Can you wait till the <laughs> afternoon? Just be praying for your husband, all right? <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we thank you. Thank you for giving us a model. A lot of us in here didn't have great marriages to follow. A lot of us in here didn't have moms and dads that modeled this well. And frankly, a lot of us feel alone and not really sure what to do. Some of us in here may not even know Jesus. And he's been something we've heard about, something we're really sure if we, we should follow. It doesn't didn't really understand even that, that, that he died on the cross for our sins so that we can know what real life looks like. Not just in our marriage, but just even our own lives. And Lord, if there's some in here that have never come to that place where they've really explored what it means to follow Jesus, I pray they'd start there. Because Lord, I, I can't be the leader to my wife if I am, am not following the leader of the universe. So Lord, help me, help, help those that are in here that might need to humble themselves for the first time and admit they're a sinner. Admit they need Jesus. Admit that they know that he died on the cross for our sins. And decide that he's gonna, I'm going to submit to his leadership in my life. And that would be the best decision they could make this weekend. And Lord, for those of us in here that are believers that have really, frankly, lost a vision of what submission looks like, that we both need to submit to Jesus for this marriage to work. Lord, help us to release control. Help us to ask where we need to grow. Help us to know what needs to die inside of us so that life could spring in our union for us to experience oneness. Father, thank you for being one so that we know what oneness looks like. In your name we pray.